So Jonah 1, verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from, pardon me, from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Uh, let's just pray as we begin. Thank you, Lord, that you have given us this story. Uh, we know that there are some challenging things in it. Uh, both uh, the things that you say to us, the things that you said to the people back then, and some of the incredible miraculous events that are in it. We pray that you would help us to understand today, and not just understand, but accept what you have to say about yourself. We have to say about uh, warning and mercy and love. We pray that you would make us teachable, that you would open up our hearts, make them supple, to be spoken to by you, just as Jonah was. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I wonder if you've ever had to be the bearer of bad news. Um, lots of people have jobs like this. Uh, I watched a little bit of film, and some films that I came up reminded me of just how hard some people's jobs are. One of my favorite films is Moneyball. Uh, in Moneyball, it's all about baseball. It's very American, but I enjoyed it anyway. And in it, one of the, there's an intern there who's given the job of, of firing someone. Um, he has to fire a player. And, and as you see him struggle with, with bearing this bad news to someone, you understand just how hard a job it is. You, you, you're going up to someone and you're saying to them, as of this moment, your income is gone. You, you're, you're too old to do the job that you've loved all your life. When you go home tomorrow morning, or when you go home now and wake up tomorrow morning, you're going to wake up with nothing to do. I watched another film about uh, a man who's a professional employment termination specialist. <laughs> what a job. must take a, a particular person to do that job. And you see um, fictional stories, but I'm sure they're based on truth. You see people break down in tears, get angry, yell and scream and threaten, even people committing suicide. You think of the guy who has to give the flag to the mother of the fallen soldier. People like medical professionals and the police must have an incredibly hard job at times bringing bad news. And we're going to hear today that God had a message. And it's a message, first up, of hard news. We've got two points today. And our first one is that God's message is one of warning and mercy. Warning and mercy. In our story, uh, God speaks. <laughs> he speaks to a man and he calls him to action, to be a messenger to be the bearer of bad news. Arise, get up and go, he tells Jonah. There's something to be done. There is a problem in my world, God says. 
And the problem is, is that there is a nation of people whose wickedness and evil has become so bad that my patience, as great as it may be, is worn out. And I've decided to take action. Straight away we find out that God speaks. He's a God of action. He's not disinterested in this world and that he hates evil. We're one verse in. What an amazing thing we're learning about God. This is the God that calls himself Yahweh. This is the God that later shows up as the man, Jesus. Also talking to his people, speaking to them, taking action because he's not disinterested in this world. He's the man who hates evil and all the harm it does in this world. And that same God calls Jonah to preach against that great city. This is the city that represents a people. Nineveh was the capital of the nation of Assyria. Uh, We probably want to think of the word great as described in there in terms of greatly important. It's a major city. It's a city that leads a nation, a significant city. It's a hated city. We don't have an exact date for when these events happened. But Jonah comes from Israel, who is either a vassal state or a tributary state to Assyria, meaning Assyria is in charge, they're, they're dominant, or they're about to become that state. Assyria is the dominant nation at the time. And Assyria has put many nations under their thumb, Israel included. And it's not friendly rule either. I'd like to read... A few verses from Nahum. Where's Nahum gone? There it is. Nahum has a whole chapter speaking to Nineveh. I'd just like to read a couple of verses from there. Speaking to Nineveh, Woe to the bloody city, full of lies and plunder, no end to its prey. The crack of the whip and rumble of the wheel, galloping horse and bounding chariot, horsemen charging, flashing sword and glittering spear, hosts of slain, heaps of corpses, dead bodies without end. They stumble over the bodies. There is no easing your hurt. Your wound is grievous. All who hear the news about you clap their hands. For upon whom has not come your unceasing evil? Nineveh is a hated city. And God calls Jonah to preach against the wickedness of the city. And honestly, Jonah would have probably loved the opportunity to tell his evil enemies that God is coming to get them. But for some reason... He runs away from what God is commanding him to do. Why? The answer is, is because in the call to preach wickedness, there is a message of mercy. Think about God's course of action here, the action that he's chosen to, to follow. 
Nineveh's wickedness has become so bad that God has chosen to do something about it. And if it was a movie, I don't know if you imagine, maybe even an action movie in particular, you always know the bad guy at the end is, is going to cop it from somewhere. Like, depending on which era, 80s, 90s, or, or more recent, like, they were more corny. But when, when something bad happened at the end of the movie to the bad guy, we all went, yes, or we felt satisfied because justice was done, didn't we? And if this was a movie about Nineveh, if we had that sort of distance, we would say, yes, judgment on the wickedness that's here. Lightning and burning sulfur from heaven, maybe. Old school, you get them, Lord. You bring justice. A a tidal wave of destruction. Let's see one of them. Tear open the ground and let them all fall in. Restore justice. But that type of attitude isn't the attitude of the Lord. He sends his prophet to warn. Yes, destruction is coming. Jonah later commands that they've got 40 days left. We find that out in, I think, chapter 3. But at the moment, there is still time. This is just a warning. Mercy is available. God is speaking judgment, but offering mercy. Isn't this exactly what Jesus did? The message hasn't changed, has it? Jesus came and he preached what? Repent, warning, and believe. Repent and believe. And as you believe, I'll I'll hold out my mercy through my very own death. This is what he does. Warning with mercy. Warning with mercy. But Jonah hates the idea of mercy being offered to his wicked enemies. What starts the drama of this story going, the source of all Jonah's problems, is that Jonah is against the plans of God. He doesn't like what those plans look like. He thinks they're unjust. He feels like his plans of just destruction are better. Better off not to warn them. Better off that they don't see it coming. Better off that they don't respond to God's warning, that they don't receive his mercy, and that God just wipes them out. I wonder how you react to those unexpected plans of God. Do you feel like God hasn't listened to you if he doesn't answer you in exactly the way that you hoped he would? Are you frustrated with the way God goes about things? Do you choose to follow your own plans instead of what God calls you to do? Maybe you don't like part of the message God has given us. Maybe for us it's the opposite of Jonah. Maybe we really hate God's call of judgment against our godless culture. Maybe you think it's too strong when Jesus says something like that, you know, everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. That's pretty strong. Judgment just for being angry. When he goes on and says, whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. I mean, that's strong stuff. Messages of judgment like that. Maybe you don't like it when Jesus calls out lust, Adultery, divorce, lying, retaliation. Maybe you think our culture isn't really that bad. 
that your sin isn't really that bad, that it isn't really deserving of judgment. And, and, and please don't get me wrong, uh, I'm not trying to make out like our culture is worse than it is, or it is the worst of the worst of the worst. It's really hard to walk past people each day and think of them like that, as deserving of judgment. You know, the people who deliver your pizza, does, is he deserving of judgment? The people we work alongside every day, are they really condemned? The happy couple who just moved in down the street, is there really bad, horrible, terrible news coming up for them? Honestly, I was really tempted to leave this out of this sermon. What if you're a guest? If, if you're a guest, wonderful, welcome. Really pleased to have you here. <laughs> really pleased to have you here. I was tempted because of you. I don't want you to think that we're all about judgment because we're not. What if you think it's too harsh? Maybe you're inclined to skip over parts of the message that God has given us. Or maybe, like Jonah, you sometimes like the call against evil. You hate God's mercy. Not generally, not for most people, because that would be horrible, but for just one or two people in your life who have really hurt you. You just don't want really God to be merciful. You want to stay angry and you want God to be angry at them. Just to those people, one or two who have hurt you the most, the people you hold on to your anger about. Is there anyone who you think doesn't deserve the mercy of God? You're probably right. In fact, I'm sure you're right. There are people who don't deserve it. Us. All of us. None of us deserve the mercy of God. We're all in rebellion towards him. Are some people too wicked for God's mercy? No. No. On one hand, he calls out, he calls you out, on your rebellion against him, and with the other blood-stained hand, he offers you mercy and love. It's wonderful news. God's message is one of both warning and mercy. Our second point, following Jonah, no matter how difficult the message, get up and go. Get up and go. Jonah finds the idea of God's mercy to Nineveh objectionable. He decides to get up and go, but to go away from the presence of the Lord. At this point, many of us ask, is Jonah stupid? Has he been hit in the head? Has something bad happened to him? Why would he do this? Hasn't he read Psalm 139? That we can never flee from God's presence. Doesn't he understand that? I mean, he probably has read it, but he wasn't thinking along those lines at the time. See, in Hebrew thinking, the presence of God was with his people. Yeah, we know that. We've we understand phraseology like that. The presence of God is with his people. God was there with Israel in the land of Israel. He was there with them in the temple. That was the place where he dwelt. That's where his presence was. Jonah doesn't want to listen to God's command, so he's fleeing the presence of God in two ways. The first one is that 
all throughout history, whenever you hear the phrase, the word of the Lord came to so-and-so, as we have in verse 1, this has happened while being surrounded by the people of God. And it makes logical sense to Jonah that if he runs away from the people of God, God might stop speaking to him, might stop calling him to get up and go. He's trying to leave his mobile phone at home in the hope that God won't call him. That's what he's trying to do. Believe God's people, God won't be there. The other way is fleeing the presence of the Lord is by leaving the worshipping community of God. And maybe this is more pertinent for us. See, when he's there in Israel, he's surrounded by people, places, and things that remind him of God, remind him of Yahweh, remind him of what he's being called to, convict him of what is right. And he wants to leave that constant prompting behind. So he flees. To where? To Tarshish. Traditionally, we've called this word Tarshish the name of a city, and uh, that's possibly correct. But it's also possible, and maybe even probable, that this word should be translated sea place, or the open sea, you know, an ocean place, something like that. Um, It's kind of like the city named Portland. Like, there's Portlands all over the world, aren't there? We've got one four hours away, America's got a few of them, and we call it that because it's the land where the port is. Tarshish might, and maybe even probably just means sea place. It might be a location, but it might just be out to the sea, out to the ocean place. It seems like Jonah isn't fleeing to any place in particular except the open sea. He wants to be surrounded by heathen sailors, far away from the promised land and the people of God. If so, we might read verse 3 like this. But Jonah rose to flee to the open sea from the presence of the Lord, He went down to Joppa and found a ship going out to sea. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to the ocean, away from the presence of the Lord. And the point here is, don't do that. (laughs) Don't be like Jonah and run from God. If you don't like what God's calling you to do, don't try to avoid God. Don't stop coming to church or, or growth group or Tune out the sermon. We'll find out a little bit more next time. This is going to be a series over the next few months. We'll find a little bit more next time what avoiding God looks like. But if God's convicting you of something, don't stop praying. Don't stop reading your Bible or meeting with fellow believers. These things are exactly what God uses to extend his grace and mercy to you and to make you more like Jesus. Don't be like Jonah. Take up the call to be Jesus' witnesses and make disciples. Our theologians love to do one thing in particular, it seems, sometimes. They like to debate with each other. You get these big, giant books that sit on pastor's shelves and they're filled with people debating with each other about um, different ways to think about things. And one of the things that they <coughs> pardon me, debate about in Jonah is who are we supposed to think ourselves of? You know, when we read this book, who are we supposed to identify with? Uh, Are we like Jonah? Are we supposed to think of ourselves as him? 
maybe we're like the sailors we find uh, in chapter, later in chapter 1 and 2. Maybe we're supposed to think of ourselves as the people whom Jonah has written this for, who is coming back to preach to in Israel, and we're supposed to think of ourselves as them. Well, here's my take on it. I think we're Ninevites. That's shocked some people before. I think we're Ninevites who have been heard the warning, have been saved and redeemed and rescued, and now get to be Jonas. I think that's who we are. We're ex-Ninevites who now get to be Jonas. Before Jesus left, he told the church almost the exact same wording as Jonah. Get up and go, Jesus says. Be my witnesses. As you go, make disciples. Jonah's call to preach warning and mercy is our call. Don't think that the word of Yahweh hasn't come to you. Just as Jonah was entrusted with the warning of God, so are we. The word of the Lord came to Phil, son of Frank. Substitute your own there. I was thinking about putting other people's names in there, but I thought I'd better not single anyone out. The word of the Lord came to you, daughter of, son of. Don't get me wrong. Um, Jonah's attitude of hatred and superiority, I think, was wrong. We shouldn't enjoy the warning or the judgment As Christians, we're all about the mercy, the reconciliation, the abundant love of God. For God so loved the world that he has given his only son. And maybe because we're worried about being judgmental or pushy or silly in speaking to others, we've actually forgotten the urgency of the message. In chapter 3, Jonah says it's 40 days 40 days. That's all you've got. And I'm, I'm not saying that about Geelong or Australia or the world or, or, or anything like that. But maybe we've forgotten how short life is. How fragile each and every one of us is. Maybe we've forgotten how long eternity is. Can you imagine uh, seeing someone setting up a tent on the railway tracks? <laughs> I've never seen it for obvious reasons. <laughs> but you probably wouldn't believe it at first if you saw it, would you? You know, you, you picture them uh, unfolding the, te- the, the tent, taking it out of its bag, you know, that big heavy thing, and laying it out over the railway tracks. And they're trying to find a place between the sleepers to, to, knock, to knock the pegs in. And it's really coarse rock, and they're struggling a little bit. Uh, they're blowing up an air mattress in there. <laughs> Maybe they've got the battery version that blows it up really quickly. And then they put it all in there. They move all their bedding in and maybe some other things. And then they come in and they, just, they zip themselves into the tent right on top of the railway tracks. Would it matter to you, watching these people, that the scheduled train wasn't until the next day? You know, 10, 11, even 12 a.m. Would that matter to you? Would you be able to go home and sleep in your bed knowing that they were there on the railway tracks? Or would you be there with them, trying, 
And I have to say, while being respectful and careful and not pushy and all the other things, but trying to get them to sleep in a place of safety. Preach the warning and mercy of God to all the people around you. That's my encouragement to you today. Don't shy away from it. Take up the call of God to preach God's warning and mercy. We have good news. Yes, there's hard news at first. But don't we like to know that there's ice on the highway so we can avoid disaster? Isn't it be good to be told that the milk's off before you pour it onto your cereal and take the good chunky bite? <laughs> Wouldn't you love to hear the bad news of a bushfire coming to your house if it meant that you could escape tragedy? We don't just have bad news. We don't just have warning. We have a king full of mercy and wonder. We have a king who's, who's the Psalm 23 king, the loving shepherd who leads us and comforts us, looks after us, restores us, pursues us with his goodness. We have this wonderful king who now Liz knows is there for eternity. We get to enjoy him forever. We're not about the warning. We're about the king and his message of mercy and goodness. It's a privilege to teach. It's a privilege even to warn when we carry such a message. Will you pray with me? Thank you, Lord God, for your patience. Thank you for your patience for Nineveh to extend even to such atrocities that we read about. Thank you for your patience for your people today. We know that this world is in rebellion towards you. Maybe some of the ways are more subtle and some of them more bold. But Lord, every single one of us rebels against you, rejects you as our king and as our God. Lord, we have a message of warning and mercy. And maybe some part of either of those we don't always love. But we pray that you would give us the courage to speak when you ask us to speak. That we wouldn't run from your call. And that you would give us such a joy and wonder about our Savior and King Jesus that we are just overjoyed to run the streets to run towards the railway tracks and say, people, look out. Judgment is coming and in their place can be something wonderful and beautiful and satisfying. We thank you for our Saviour Jesus. We pray that you would equip us with your spirit to do these things. In Jesus' name, amen.